Welcome to the Hughes of Leadership podcast, where we dive deep into the many prominent aspects of leadership. How does leadership show up in each of us, and how do we seek to have a positive influence on the lives of others? Just like Hughes vary, so does how we show up as leaders and how we may flex different hues depending on the moment, the task at hand, or the individual or team we're engaging. What hues are you using today, and which will you seek to further develop? I'm your host, DJ Menifee, a Chief Enrollment Officer and Leadership Practitioner in Higher Education. I look forward to diving into the hues of leadership with our guests. In Season 2, we're focusing on extraordinary, impactful leadership moments, specifically those that played a critical role in shaping the leader our guest has become or continues to become. Season 2 is inspired by the book, The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact. I highly recommend it if you've not checked it out. And now, without further ado, let's get into the guest introductions. Today's guest is his 15th year as a higher education and enrollment management professional. A nationally renowned Latino admissions leader known for being student-centered, authentic, and present, his thoughts and insights have been shared in outlets such as Forbes, The Chronicle of Higher Education, The San Antonio Express News, and many more. A child of Guatemalan immigrants, he hails from Miami, Florida, and currently calls San Antonio, Texas home. A former director of admission, he now supports colleges around the country through his own educational support practice, Starta Consulting. Though he is proud of the work he does and his ability to help shape national conversations about college admissions, he is the proudest of being called dad by his five-year-old daughter, Josephine. So without further ado, let's welcome Tony Starta to the show. What's up, man? I hope I was able to get that intro right. You know, and it it just kind of brightened my day to be able to get to the last part because I know you're very proud of being a dad. I am. I'm actually I'm taking Josephine to the library at the end of the day. Um, we had we started a tradition earlier this year called Library Lunes, which is Monday in Spanish. So we get some sacrosanct father daughter time uh, every single Monday, where I get to pick her up from kindergarten and uh, we go straight to the library. So uh, Monday's my favorite day of the week to be able to spend some extra time with her. And it's an extra special Monday because I get to spend some time with you um, as one of my favorite people. So thanks for having me with you. Well, I appreciate that. And I just have a quick follow-up question. At this age, when she's at the library, like what is she interested in? Yeah, so she's learning how to read and um, she's bilingual. So I'm trying to um, press her um, both at home and at school to sharpen just her language skills. But just being at the library, man, has just been this incredible thing because I think it's really special to see a child discover who they are through literature. Um, I wasn't much of a reader when I was younger. Um, I was actually a really bad student and I thought I hated reading. And in the middle of the pandemic, when everybody just had a lot of extra time on their hands, somebody recommended audiobooks to me. And I was like, I don't like to read. Like, that's not a thing. And I started reading a book by Dr. Anthony Abraham Jack, who might be an author um, that's familiar to a lot of our colleagues. And I like zipped through this audiobook and I was like, love reading. And it, and it kind of took me right until like mid to late thirties to realize that I loved reading and I loved literature, but I'm an auditory learner. Right. And it, it really kind of helped frame for me that, you know, knowledge and how we pursue knowledge can look so different um, to so many different people. So now with, you know, five-year-old Josephine and letting her 
discover literature and discover knowledge and and letting her have some autonomy in the way that she looks at that has just been really amazing. She reads Captain Underpants and Dogman a lot. And I have gotten some very curious eyes from friends and other parents that are like, is that above her age level? And and I and I've tried to be really thoughtful about how to answer that as a parent, not infringing on what other parents think about, you know, what's age appropriate. But what I love about her curiosity is that we can talk about what we read, right? Like we can kind of push the boundaries of what's considered age appropriate because I can ask her, what did you think about that? What questions do you have? What did you like about this? What what didn't you like about this? And that she can answer honestly. And she picks up a book at the end of the night, every night before bedtime. She's like, daddy, are you going to read to me? Daddy, are you going to read to me? So now it's become like this thing for her, right? That she wants to read Dogman. Like she has every single Dogman book. We've read them cover to cover. And I just see her curiosity inspired in in reading. I mean, I usually tell her, hey, you know, we'll, we'll pick up three to four books this week. And they usually turns into 13 or 14 books every single week. And it's hard to tell her no, because she's very convincing. But it's great just to see her development and just trying to figure out, you know, how as I, you know, as her dad, you know, right? Like how, how can I nurture her curiosity and like not get in her way while still providing her guidance at the same time? I appreciate your reflections on that. And as one who has a few children and spending last night reading Granny Granny, Buzz Lightyear versus Zerg, which is an alien robot in case our audience isn't fully aware as well as Shady Baby, which is uh, a children's book by the Wade family, Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union. Uh, I'm very familiar with the the spirit of of not only reading to and reading with uh, our children. So I really appreciate you sharing that with our audience. And I'm I have a sense that maybe maybe Josephine may show up a little later in our in our dialogue as well. So shout out to Josephine as an amazing young lady uh, who was developing uh, her her own thought and her own perspective with a great dad and with great parents. So you know, Tony, we had a good conversation ahead of this to kind of think through just some stories that you wanted to discuss and that have shaped you as a leader. And I'm really excited about the topics that we're going to touch base on today. You know, without further ado, I want to I want to get ready and to dive into our conversation today to explore these themes. And so, you know, the the, the first moment that we want to talk about today is what I am theming uh, more than an organization and more than a title. And so, I'm going to turn the keys over to you, Tony. Tell us, the audience, about this narrative and this story that that inspired this topic and and, and helped share and shape with us how that shaped you as a leader. Yeah, and I'm and I'm hoping at some level that the listeners can hear the grin on my face, even if they can't see it. And I want to tell you, thank you for being patient with me because when we were you know, talking in advance, um, boy, did I have stories that I wanted to share. And you're like, hey, listen, we only have a, a limited amount of time to get through all of these. So it was tough kind of narrowing it down. But I thought this was like a really salient topic related to leadership in my mind, especially as I have gone through some professional changes this year. You know, as you mentioned at the top, I'm in my 15th year of working in higher education, college admissions, enrollment management. Um, but about nine months ago, I left my full-time job as a director of admissions and did what we don't get to do in enrollment management. And I kind of took this sabbatical and I, I, I went hiking a lot and I spent more time with my daughter and called a lot of people and was like, hey, you and I haven't had a chance to chat in a long time. And I, and I went through this like moment of reflection where 
I was like, who am I when I don't have a director of admissions title? Who am I when I'm not affiliated with an institution? And that's the most recent time that this has happened. I think the first time that I that I really started to experience this when, was when earlier in my career, and I really started to try and make it a goal and a mission of mine to be more professionally involved. I realized that when colleagues that I had never met before would come up and introduce themselves to me, or when I met somebody new and I would introduce myself to them, we go through this kind of like song and dance when we meet people, you know, at, at our, you know, regional or state ACACs or, you know, whatever event you're going to. And, and what you invariably lead with is your name, where you work and your title. And I realized that I would get a lot of judgment from people because of my title and because of where I worked. Some of it good, some of it bad, some of it was just, you know, people processing information, but I didn't like it. I didn't like that that immediately people would make judgments on me based on, you know, something that, yeah, maybe I had some control of, of where I worked, but that doesn't define me. That doesn't define who I am. And and I have, you've known me for a little while, DJ, I've got a little bit of a rebellious streak in me at times. Those won't necessarily all make it into this show. But I, I kind of got tired of it for a little while when people were like, and where do you work? And what do you do? And what's in your portfolio? And where do you work? And what do you do? Oh, I've never heard of that place before. And I'm like, there's there's so much more to me than that. And I went to a conference and when I kind of got tired of it, I got like a like a white label, like you would put on like a folder and I put it over the name of my institution, like on my conference badge. So the only thing that was there was my name. And I saw people taken aback when they were like, but, 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 but tell me, tell me where you work. Tell me what you are. Tell me what you do. And I'm like, I'm so much more than that. And I know that it made some people really uncomfortable. I went to NACAC this year in Baltimore and had a conversation where I did not have a name tag on. And somebody asked me like, oh, where do you work? What do you do? And I got, you know, a little forward. And I said, can I just tell you about me? Like, why does it matter so much? And that person didn't particularly like that. Just trying to nuance, right? Like how, how I do that with people. But that's also the approach that I really like to take with people as well. Um, you know, we, we benefit from a profession where there's so many people with so many unique experiences at a variety of institutions and a variety of roles. We should affirm that they all bring value to the profession. They make us sharper because we have all of these different characteristics and qualities. But that starts with the person, not with the title or the institution. So um, I have tried to make it part of my leadership journey to get to know professionals for who they are as people and what their ethics and values are, what they're passionate about, what they want to give to the profession, what they want to give to people and to students and make these other things that are still relevant, right? Like their title and where they work and what's in their portfolio. I'm not, I'm not trying to take away from the fact that those things aren't meaningful, but I think as professionals, if we can really center the people as we get to know each other, we're going to do a much better job of making people from all different types of institutions, from all different titles and portfolios, um, not just feel included, but like they are unique and special and wanted in the work that we do. Tony, thank you for walking us through that. And I think you know, some of the pieces that come to mind for me is thinking about all the ways in which we identify, right? what are the ways in which people identify us in space? And so 
when you brought this up as a potential topic and I went home that evening, I remember in 2021 thinking critically about if I didn't have this job anymore, how would people define me? And am I okay with being defined without being an enrollment leadership professional? Uh, And I got to tell you, um, when I first reflected on that, I wasn't okay with it because it has become such a huge part of my, my identity. But beyond that and moving beyond that was time to say, well, is it also because I've spent maybe more time outside of being a husband and outside of being a dad? Is it because I've put so much energy and effort into it that maybe there are other ways to to put energy and effort into the other aspects of who I am and that that becomes more balanced? And so I think one of the ways in which flowers bloom from that is this podcast conversation, right? Is the ability to be able to have leadership-oriented conversations to lift other leaders up to share their stories. And whether it is connected or not connected to higher education in some capacity, this was something else that I was passionate about. Uh, My wife has supported me in that, aka shout out to the executive producer, the queen, to be able to have those those conversations. But I also have a a follow-up question for you, Tony, in relationship to this. So when I think about the conferences, um, professional development experiences will work collectively together. I'm, I have to be honest also that I tend to be one that uses those same entry points to conversation, right? Okay, what Absolutely. do you do? Where do you do it at? And so then there's like this opportunity to say, well, let's create this bridge because I know where your institution is. Let's create this bridge because I have a sense of portfolio that you have and there's some alignment there. We may even be able to talk and have coffee later because we're probably navigating similar experiences. Are there are there other things that have worked for you or other things that you've seen colleagues and friends in the space do that have been other kind of pathways to create relationship and start off conversations? And it's funny because I draw on my my experience as an enrollment manager and something that I I started doing years ago at college fairs. I don't, I don't do college fairs anymore on behalf of an institution, but I think we do it to students too. And I hope that, you know, our friends listening will will understand this parallel. If you've been doing college for for a long time, you'll often hear college admissions professionals immediately ask the same first question to students. What do you want to major in? Right? Like we've defined them by this thing, right? Like, again, we do it by professionals. And I started to untrain myself from doing that at college fairs. And I would ask students their name and I would say, like, tell me about you. Like, we'll get to talking about college admissions in a minute. We'll get to talking about how, like, you know, what you want to do and what type of campus you're, you know, looking for. Tell me about you. And and people get taken aback when they're like, holy cow, like this person actually like wants to take a minute to take an interest in me as a person. Right. So even you know, hey, you know, where are you from? What motivates you? Like how, you know, what's ex- what's happening that's exciting in your life or like what's on your mind? I think gives us, and we have to be vulnerable to do it, right? Like that's the other part because sometimes the more meaningful questions or the deep questions that aren't speed dating or first date questions, right? I think that's why we often ask each other about our portfolio and our titles and where we work, right? Because they're these very easy, low-hanging fruit answers to be able to share with each other. But I think that there's so much more to us. So I think stopping to take a moment to reflect on these are people, and I would love to get interested in knowing them as people, right? More so than the titles. And I go back to your comments about, you know, how did I make you feel when I brought when I first brought this up? 
I don't mean this to take away from the things that people care about professionally or their accomplishments professionally. I consider you an extraordinary friend of mine for which I'm very grateful. And I will never separate my friend DJ from being DJ all world higher education professional, DJ, you know, NACAC board member, DJ chief enrollment officer. Like those are all things for which like you should be proud. And at the end of the day, like if you asked me like, Tony, who am I? Like, I would tell you, DJ's a good man. DJ's a good friend. He's a good dad, right? Like there are these things that transcend you know, who you are. And I think that opportunity to find those things that allow us to build connection, because that's, that's, I think, kind of where you were going, right? Is like, we want to find other people that have similarities with us, that we can build rapport and build bond over. Absolutely. I think that, that that's how we build connection. But I think, as with all things that are valuable in our lives, trying to develop the skills to remember that, you know, we're just people at the end of the day, like, how would I approach trying to make a new colleague or a new friend without leaning on these things that are easy can also make us really invested in people. Thank you. And and also for within that, that narrative, giving me a couple shout outs, chief all world. I, I, Mark, don't worry. Those, those acknowledgements. <laughs> I also think that just in terms of thinking through this dialogue and reiterating the value of getting to know a person for who they are beyond the intent and purpose of that instance, right? Given the college fair dialogue, I think it also ties a little bit to where we're going to head next in our conversation, because this theme is under the umbrella of uh, being one of one, right? Not mm-hmm. not being like everybody else or not having similarity right. to everybody else, but being, being one to yourself. And so, I'm going to pivot for our audience to the second narrative, the second story around what shaped you as a leader. And this is under the umbrella of the unique self. Uh, And so, again, I'm going to turn the keys over to you, Tony, and walk us through this experience and how it shaped you and how you make effort to shape other leaders as well. And, And boy, was it an experience. Yeah. So I'm going to share the name of someone who many of your listeners may know. And for those that don't, I hope that you will learn her name and have the opportunity to meet her at some point or hear her speak. Some number of years ago through Texas ACAC, I got to participate in a two-day leadership development program. Um, I was living in Beaumont, Texas at the time. And I think the program was in San Antonio and came with two members of my staff. And one of the sessions was led by Beverly Wheeler, my dear friend. And at the time, I, I did not know Beverly. Like We had never engaged with each other and for like 45 minutes, I got to hear the most powerful woman just talk about leadership and how we could develop our best selves and be authentic and mindful and be generous and gracious, but steadfast. I mean, like she was worth the price of admission like for this event on her own. And I don't think it would surprise anyone who has heard Beverly Wheeler talk to hear me say that I was just inspired in my bones and I'm an extrovert, you know, this DJ. And I was just like, I got to talk to her. I've never met her before. Like, I just want to tell her how much, like I appreciated what she had to say. And I like beelined it for her at the first break that we had. And I went up to her and was like, 
Miss Wheeler, like you just need to know like how much like your, you know, your wisdom and your talk meant to me. I want to be just like you when I grow up. And she looked me dead in the eyes and she said, you're going to fail. And when I tell you that I went from like the highest high to the lowest low in a blink DJing, because I was like, man, like I came in hot. I was like excited to tell her how much that she meant to me. And that I wanted to be like her, right? Like, I thought that was a compliment to her. And she told me, you're going to fail. And I was like, okay, well, now, now I'm heart sunk, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what to say at this point. And I think she saw the look on my face. And she said, let me explain. You have unique values as a person. And yes, you want to be able to learn from people and take attributes and qualities that you see from people that you admire and try and figure out how you integrate the best of other people into who you are. But why in the world would you ever want to be anybody but yourself? Your goal is not to be like me, Beverly Wheeler. Your goal is not to be like anybody else, your mentor, your best friend, your boss. Your goal is to be the best version of who you are. And like, I still get emotional thinking about that moment because it was such a turning point for me to be able to reframe my relationships with people. If that makes sense, DJ, to say, what do I love about DJ? Like what makes him like somebody that I admire, like somebody that I want to spend time with or that I want to like hear what he has to think or Beverly or anybody else and say like, how does that make me reflect on myself? Right. Like, how do I take these things that I really like admire and love about other people, but then ask questions about myself and like what I value and what I think are genuinely good things about myself or things that I feel like I can contribute to my community or to the national narrative around higher ed or, you know, working with a specific partner campus that I'm working with or, or any, or, or taking Josephine to the library today. And how do I make myself strive and yearn for the best version of myself and be authentic to me without ever putting up anybody on such a pedestal that I say that I want to be like them because we're all foul, right? Like we make mistakes and I have great stories about mistakes too, if we get there. But at the end of the day, recognizing that you can admire and love people and, you know, want to incorporate and some level emulate characteristics they have, but never in a way that doesn't affirm who you are, right? As an individual at the end of the day. And that was a really powerful lesson for me. And and now anytime that I, I run into Beverly, I tell her, hey, I'm, I'm trying to be the best version of me. I'm not trying to be like you. And, and I think she takes it as a compliment. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really appreciative of that wisdom from her that I was able to, to take on that one day and incorporate it into how I am as a professional now. Shout out to... Beverly, not only in terms of the story you share, but in all the ways she's had an impact on our profession as a whole. Um, we can go into a whole nother conversation on on the ways in which she she had an impact on me. Uh, and it wasn't at a conference setting. It was actually during an interview process when I was considering a role. And, and she had a response to a question uh, or a response to an answer that I had presented on on leading. And it was very heavy in terms of data and goals and meeting expectations, it was very thin on people. It was very thin on getting to meet people at an individual level and caring for them 
and supporting them. And she really pushed on that. And I didn't get it at that point in time in my career, but I always think about that moment and it, it, it just stands out. And so when you think about what you just shared with our audience, you know, the, the piece that I wrote down was thinking through this notion of, okay, I've seen, I've experienced, or I've heard of this way of doing things, whether it's leadership, whether it's process, whatever it is. But then you've got this period of time where you evaluate it like, okay, so then what does that mean for me, to me, and for the organization or the people that I'm with? And as I make that assessment, then there's the opportunity to say, okay, thus is it valuable to me enough that I want to incorporate it um, into the way in which I show up. Um, And I'll, I'll hit a phrase that you hit on our term, which is authentically. And so I really appreciate that. The other thing that it brings up for me, which is a part of it, is why I don't think there's like any prioritization list that says to be a great leader, you have to have like this is number one and two. You know, obviously, there are a lot of great leadership books, maybe some on my shelf that try to articulate that. But for me, the one of the biggest pieces that I've learned that I feel like has contributed to the leader that I am and intend to be is self-reflection. Right. So Mm -hmm. I've exposed to something at a conference. We've tried something new and it didn't work. And it was my idea. Had an interaction at home with the kids and had I had time to think about it It didn't go quite the way that I had expected. And and maybe I I overreacted to something. The opportunity to self-reflect has been monumental to me. And so I think there's an alignment there with this notion of somebody challenging you to be your unique version and the best version of yourself while still having time to assess, okay, I've seen these things happen in space. These are the things that align with my values and my purpose. Thus, they're worth attempting to incorporate into who I intend to be moving forward. While there can also be moments where somebody is amazing and great in their own right, but maybe those things don't quite align with the direction and the intention that you intend to have for yourself and for your loved ones. And that's okay too. Yeah. And, you know, I think the hard part about the reflection is that sometimes you don't necessarily feel like you're accomplishing anything, but it's the most intentional thing that you can do because we can gloss over it, right? We can be like, what's the next thing that I have to do on my to-do list or what what do I need to put on my to-do list? Like I've accomplished something, I've crossed it off the list. I studied the cycle of continuous improvement quite a bit in graduate school and evaluation is like a thing that a lot of organizations and a lot of people miss. And it requires so much intentionality to sit and reflect. Like it requires time. Um, And I think one of the things to your point, DJ, that requires is an incredible amount of humility, right? To, To be able to sit in stillness and evaluate oneself, including when you have to ask yourself hard questions or you don't necessarily like the answer that you've come to or you've, you know, self reflected on how you handled something and you're like, "Mm, yeah, I really could have done that better. Right. It requires so much of it, so much of us to be intentional, to commit time, to be humble, but it's where the growth happens at the end of the day. So, so I appreciate that that's something that's on your mind. And now that I'm saying it out loud, it's probably something that I need to make sure that I'm committed to um, because we can get lost in the busyness so often, but but I really do think that that self-reflection to your point is where so much of our growth as as individuals, not just as professionals happens. 
And, and Tony, I do have a follow-up question for you. And, and, and I want to kind of take a couple steps back just in the framing of the theme about acknowledging, recognizing, and wanting to lift up uniqueness in people. You know, as you've been a leader in our space, and whether it's in the time that you were leading offices or whether it's in the time now when you're you're able to, to, to help lead and consult for many institutions, how has Tony helped support other individuals in identifying their unique self? I'm my own worst critic. So I often have to practice on myself first. Like even writing my bio was hard or like, you know, or giving you some things for like my introduction was hard. Like I actually like... I text message like a half a dozen friends who are like professionals in this space. And I asked them like, what would you say is something about me? Like a characteristic about me that like you recognize or appreciate because it feels weird. Like it's, I've been doing this for 15 years and it's still weird to hear you say like a leader in our profession. Like I want to look over my shoulder and be like, who are you talking about? Like, it's certainly not me, but there's a moment where like, the humility cannot turn into imposter syndrome or it can't stay there, right? Because I think there's something innate in most of us that makes us not necessarily want to believe these things about ourselves. Like for me, it was like tied to, I don't have a degree from like a name brand school. Like I wasn't a director admissions at like a school that's in the top 15 of whatever lists that we typically scoff at when it comes out for like how they do their rankings, right? It probably was part of the reason why I put my label over my name tag. I was like, stop judging me for these things. Like sometimes it, it's really difficult to reconcile. Um, but I do trainings for admissions offices. And, you know, one of the things that I that I typically do to try and start to like ground how I affirm people, like no matter what level they're at in their organizational chart, no matter how long they've been doing this, is taking a moment to to try as genuinely as I can tell them that I'm proud of them. Like I was I was at a at school in the Midwest doing a training with an admissions staff about two months ago. And I stopped about like 20 minutes into like our first session. And I said, you're about to get on the road. I don't know if like you feel like you didn't get off the carousel at all this year. Like you literally are just going around. Like there was no point for evaluation. Like you were working hard all summer you do hard things, you're probably exhausted, and this is about to start all over again. When you change the lives of people, do not ever take for granted that you might be the person in the lives of a student, and I don't care if they're a high school student, a transfer student, an adult student, an online learner, like you might be the person who has the most expertise and ability to help guide somebody to an educational path that is going to not ju- not just change the trajectory of their lives, but poten- potentially change the trajectory of their family and their progeny. That's a big deal. Yeah, we all need to grow. We have lessons to learn. But can I just tell you that I'm proud of you today? Like you got up and you chose to be here today. You know, people are like, oh, give 100% every day. I typically tell people like, look, your 100% today may look really different than your 100% tomorrow and look probably look really different than your 100% yesterday. If 100% today is like, I put on pants and I like returned emails today, like, because that's what I was capable of emotionally, psychologically, I get it. And your 100% tomorrow might literally be like, I feel like I could move a mountain today. Like nobody could stop me today. Like I get it. Like we're people. But I think that developing 
and affirming the uniqueness of people starts with acknowledging that like we do hard things and we make big impacts and we're still people we're still fallible like we still have um different capacity on different days so how do we champion each other without being toxically positive because i think we have to be authentic too and acknowledging the difficulties but also reminding people that we're proud of them and that this is good work i don't know if that answers your question or not maybe i'm just rambling well it does and it's through a reflection that you've shared, right? And so not only is it through the reflection that you've shared, but it's also through actual experiences of lifting people up and the individual or the unique impacts that they've had, right? So you're lifting them up, either one person or one team at a time. And and in this new um, chapter in your life, you get to do it for a broader audience. And so I, I commend you and, and salute you for the opportunities that you've been blessed with to be able to do that now for a, a team that maybe 10 months ago, because of the role that you had, you may not have had that calling because of that time period of where things were in your life. And so I want to lift you up there. And then I also want to highlight the the piece to transition, I think, to our, our, our third narrative, which is thinking about it through the lens of the impact we're able to have on other people. And so when I think about transitioning to our last point, which we're going to theme succession planning, you'll be better than me, is kind of this umbrella of still connecting to this notion of the impact that we can have on other people to lift them up uh, and put them in a positions to not only be successful, but to maybe even reach beyond where we were when we were in that capacity. So I'll turn the keys over to you, Tony, to walk us through that story as well. Yeah, I, I think when we reflect on our professional journeys, a lot of it includes not just what we've done, but with whom we've had the privilege to work. And I have been beyond lucky to have had countless people with whom I, I have grown and mourned and celebrated that are friends and exceptional colleagues and professionals. And I always go back to this one specific time period when I was director at Lamar University. And I had two right hands in the admissions office, either one of which, any admissions office in the country, any college counseling office at a high school in the country would be lucky to have either of these two brilliant and capable women. And I had them both at the same time. And that's um, Bridget Aduku and April Mariquin. I think there's times in our lives, DJ, whether it's professionally or personally, where like, we realized how good we had it. But like, after we had it, I realized how good I had it when they were there. So like I did everything that I could to capitalize on just the working relationship that the three of us had together, but it wasn't limited to the work that I was doing with them. For me, it was critically imperative that I grew both of them or at least, you know, provided an environment for their growth to where kind of going back to what Beverly said, where they could be the best version of themselves. And I knew it in my bones that that my goal wasn't just to have them be amazing, but that either of them could step into my job if I ever left and that things would be not just fine, but they would be great and that they would do it better than I did. I, like, I had that confidence um, that either of them could have done it. And... I remember when I left Lamar, the very last conversation that I had on my very last day, um, April walked me to my car in the parking lot. And for those of 
of your listeners that don't know me, I'm a hard on my sleeve type of person. Like you'll know if I'm having a great day, you'll know if I'm having a bad day. I, I cry with my friends and I cried in the parking lot with her and she said, we're going to miss you. And, and I said, you don't need to because the office is in great hands. I have nothing left to teach you. You are brilliant and amazing and you're going to soar and do these amazing things. And I hope that I've given you the best of me so that you can find the best of you. And both Bridget and April have moved on to other things. Bridget is um, now leading the college counseling staff at the Village School in Houston. Um, April is at the Simon School at the University of Rochester. And they're just, they're blossoming in their own right. And and they did great work after I had left Lamar, but I was just so pleased and proud for them that they were able to continue the work in that office and that they're continuing the work um, now at the respective places in which they're serving and, and just reminds me how important it is to me that I am able to influence what I can in positive ways to show really, you know, talented and committed people that, that there's amazing work to do and hopefully giving them tools and support so that they can find their best selves as people and as professionals. One of the pieces, Tony, that, that you said was that you had two right hands. And the piece that I value about that is, is while I, I've not used that language and the time and the season that I'm in now, from day one, it was this notion of thinking critically about succession planning. And in that season, thinking critically about not just one person to say, I've got a number two, and that's okay for other leaders and structures that look at it that way. I have no, no challenges with that. I think there's multiple ways to get to where you're trying to go. But for me, it was imperative to say, I want to lift my whole enrollment leadership team up. We're going to discuss, navigate, build strategy together. And over the this period and this season of my life, they're going to understand and know the nuances of my day to day. So not just that one may be of interest and be prepared to step in and lead this team in a much better way than I ever have been able to, but that multiple leaders would, and that multiple leaders would have this multifaceted lens beyond their job description, beyond their day-to-day work to Mm -hmm. contribute to the health, the sustainability, and the success of the institution moving forward with having this broader enrollment lens, not just my role is student financial services, my role is admission, my role is enrollment communication. It's like, no, as we navigate these topics and as we navigate these periods of our cycles, we're going to do it together. So everybody's going to talk about search. Everybody's going to talk about search parameters. Everybody's going to talk about campaigns and drips. Everybody's going to talk about our digital footprint and how do we build a digital repository to bring us into this next generation? So yes, your day-to-day may be focused on the next collections report and the next collections campaign, but also while you're doing that, we want to hear your voice contributing to, and what video content do we need? How can we best tell our story? And now in thinking about this season of life that I'm in and, and preparing for this season of life, it's feeling great about what you just said. It's not only knowing that somebody can step into the role, it's feeling with every breath that I have that they can be better than me. And I, and I say that wholeheartedly, but also in that sense that I think a great part of, of being a leader, regardless if you actually lead people or not, 
this notion of being okay with self that you want to prompt people up to be better than you were and be okay with it. Right. Like, I think that's the piece that I've enjoyed most in this season of life is like to see talent, whether they know they have it or not. And to really feel like, Ooh, like you're going to be like 10 times better. When, when we have all this nuance about the profession and, and the concerns about um, will we have enough leaders in the profession because of, of burnout and all those other things. And I want to acknowledge that's a real thing. But also when I see some of these people in our profession, I feel great about where the profession is going to be when I have a chance to, to transition out and to feel confident and comfortable with saying, and it's going to be way better than whatever I was able to contribute and like to feel good about that. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things I would also ask you, you and me to, to be mindful of, and for those listening that, that I've had to reconcile, and it's really one of the biggest challenges on this topic is you must be okay with planting a flower that will grow in someone else's garden, right? Like we can't control how long someone stays in our organization. We can't control the desires of what someone may think is best for their professional path or for their personal path. But that is not a reason to not invest in people, right? Like I'm, I'm so incredibly fortunate that I've had people within my organization where I've gotten my paycheck from, right. That have supported me, but also I would say overwhelmingly, I have grown and been challenged as, as a man, as a, as a professional from people that had no skin in the game with what I do on a daily basis that have just poured into my life, right. That have challenged me to do better that have told me uncomfortable things because it was the right thing for me to hear. Right. And not because they were going to get institutional ROI right on their investment. So yes, I, I, you know, I think as, as you, you know, evaluate like what's next for you and your professional path, you know, in the short term and in the long term, you know, how do you center that intentionality and helping people grow and challenging them to their best end, knowing that you may invest a lot and not see it right at the end of the day, because they're not with you anymore, but knowing that it was the right thing to do for you and for them, independent of where that work ultimately gets done. I think that's something that that we should all be mindful of. Well, and and Tony, what I would share uh, ahead of our our transition as we get close to conclusion is this. To me, it's like thinking about the type of environment, the type of culture that you want to help lead, stimulate, and be a part of. And as you're doing that, yes, there are going to be instances where you've not only helped plant a seed, fertilize water, um, and maybe for what's best for them, it is to uproot that plant and plant it somewhere else. And that's okay, right? Because if you've, in the time they've been in your care, if you've helped contribute to taking care of them, preparing them, challenging them, they're going to be awestruck amazing in that next place. And while you may not see it directly, indirectly, those people are going to let you know how awesome that person is and how prepared they were. And hey, do you got any more, right? And so there's that piece. The other piece is recognizing that we can want to plant a seed. We can want to help a flower grow, but maybe they're okay with where they are. And and, and yeah. we have to acknowledge simultaneously that that is enough for them. And that's the individual. It doesn't take away from the culture and the environment that you want to build. 
to be able to allow for the flowers that do want to grow, that do want to be nurtured, that you can still do that in that environment. And so for me, that's the piece that I've been thinking about it is, is, you know, yeah, there's there's been folks that have transitioned in many of the paces I've been blessed to be in. But for those that either decided to stay or for those that had transitions, were there positive experiences that they've had? Were there things that they can say about that culture that they would want to emulate in the cultures they're going to go and be a part of? And if somebody were to come to them and say, hey, I got this job opportunity, you know, that place that Tony Tony works at. What are they what are they going to say? Right. Right. That's that's the other seed that we don't often talk about. But that's the other piece where it's like, listen, yeah, it may not have worked for me. But what can they say about the type of student centered, authentic present leader that Tony is and recommending, yeah, I, I think you should give him a call, take a listen to what he has to offer because he's an amazing leader. And I think that's also a part of that broader picture of why it may not be for everyone, those that even find a way to transition, whether it's directly their choice or not, do they recall and remember how awesome that environment was and the type of culture that one created? Completely agree. Fantastic. So listen, audience, We've had a chance to think through being more than an organization and being more than a title. We've had an opportunity to think through this notion of just being unique to yourself. Um, and while we may see positive attributes in others, that that doesn't necessarily mean we need to try to intend to become those folks, but to evaluate and incorporate what makes sense for us and the, to the type of person we intend to be the best version of ourselves. And then we kind of ended on this notion of thinking about succession planning, lifting amazing people up and being okay and and cheering for them as they have the opportunities to blossom way further than what our own flower was able to blossom and to be able to still lift them up and celebrate that. Tony, as we get ready to transition, there's there's this piece of, of words of wisdom, right? To be able to leave our audience with. And I'm mindful that again, you had like 60 stories that you could have shared and unpacked with with our audience, all many, all awesome and amazing. Are there words of wisdom that you would want to give to our audience as we transition to a close that have stayed with you uh, in your journey? I, I feel like everything that I have learned has been through other people. One of my my favorite things to to say, kind of tongue in cheek, is that good artists borrow from other artists and the great ones outright steal. So, you know, when, when I get to share my wisdom, I think about just amazing people that, that I have learned from, um, present company included. Um, I'm, I'm constantly reminded about being surrounded by amazing friends and professionals who are gracious and who challenge me. And the one thing that I would ask um, of everyone, and maybe I don't know if this is wise or not, but I encourage you to lead with empathy and grace. Like it's it's not catching necessarily. I, I love talking about Josephine, right? We talked about Josephine at the top. Her middle name is Grace. Um, and that was done very intentionally. I hope that I treat her as my kid with grace. I hope that she treats me with grace because I'm figuring out this being a dad thing, you know, with her. But, but I hope that we treat ourselves graciously. We work in high pressure situations. We deal with people and decisions that will outlive the work that we do potentially and it's hard but be gracious to yourselves at the end of the day be gracious to other people we are we are imperfect often trying to do the best that we can and i 
you know, I, I tell a lot of professionals that I meet when I'm working with campuses and I, and I say it to my kid, if I only make eight mistakes by lunch, it was probably a pretty good day. If, if we can pause and be gracious with ourselves and with each other, I think we'll be probably leading with the right foot on most days. That's my advice. Well, thank you. Uh, I've taken note of that advice uh, and to incorporate that today, uh, because th there are times where I struggle not only giving myself grace, uh, I, I struggle with giving partners and colleagues across uh, the, the organization uh, grace. And I need to, to be more empathetic to not only their priorities, their needs, but also what's going on in their org and what's going on in their personal lives. So I, I appreciate that. And I also want to, to lift you up and say thank you for your willingness to have this conversation to just share a, a broader part of who Tony is and, and how Tony walks through life with our audience. Um, and also for you being a friend, you know, everything that you've shared resonates with the conversations we've had via text message, the times that we've seen each other in space at a conference. Um, and it even resonates to the first time we met each other. Like, yes, you acknowledge like, hey, congratulations on becoming a board member, but quickly move beyond that to trying to get to know me as a person. And I will forever commend and appreciate you for, for that and leading the way that you lead. I've gotten the better end of the deal with our friendship. So, but thank you for, you for being here. Hey, always trying to talk <laughs> me, people. <laughs> All right. Well, to our guest, as you transition to work or home from work, as you head into lunch or transitioning between meetings, as you transition into professional development time you have, for yourself, whether that's each day or each week, or as you transition between work and time with yourself or your loved ones, let's reflect on and consider incorporating what we've learned through these extraordinary, impactful leadership moments into our lives. Thank you for tuning in to Hughes of Leadership Podcast. And remember to ask yourself, what Hughes will I use today and which will I seek to further develop? Thank you. Thank you.